Thank you, Aaron, Oli, Gretchen, team. <laughs> you guys. That's such a, such a powerful just declaration that we can make. And I wonder how many of us, as, as we, we sing that and we pray that, that's, that's a, you know, we, we, we can truly mean that. God, I need you. And that, that's all that I need. Uh, before we jump in this morning, just a quick update. I know you all got an email, if you're on our list, uh, yesterday afternoon about uh, Ron. Um, talked with, with Lois a minute ago. Um, that procedure that they did on him yesterday afternoon went really, really well. Um, they were able to uh, find some tissue that was kind of wrapped around his lower spine. Uh, it was causing a loss of feeling in his legs and, and causing him to not be able to stand up. And uh, Lois said it went, um, went well. It was a fairly easy procedure, all things considered. So continue to pray for Ron. If, if you saw the email earlier in the week where he, he had the fall, um, kind of into the fireplace, um, just uh, be, be praying for, for him in, in uh, th- this time. Um, we uh, get ready to jump in this morning. Um, first things first, make sure my phone's turned off. Uh, Happy New Year. <laughs> if uh, you're like us, we, uh, we spent New Year's Eve, we, we came up here to the bonfire for a little while. Titus lasted about four minutes. Um, and so we didn't make it all the way till midnight here, but we went home and um, the girls didn't get to finish the season of The Mandalorian, so we started catching up on The Mandalorian with them a little bit. Jennifer and Amelie made it almost through one episode, um, and we're in bed by about 10.30, I think, so being true Okies, we made it to midnight Oklahoma time. Uh, we consider that a small win. Um, Elsie limped to midnight, and I looked over a couple times and doing this, but we turned on and watched the ball drop, and then she went to bed, and I had taken a nap earlier in the day because it didn't feel great, and was wired at 1.30, so um, go figure, <laughs> But happy new year, hope that uh, the first couple of days of 2021 have, have gone well for you, and um, curious, uh, we, we talked last week, if you were here, um, kind of talked about how we often make, you know, New Year's resolutions and, and what those look like and what those are. Um, and I'm, I'm curious how many of you made one this year, uh, whether you posted it on social media for the world to see, you wrote it down, or you just kind of made it internally. How many of you made some sort of resolution this year? Four of you. Cool. <laughs> I think about this because often our resolutions fall into one of three categories. Okay, Often our resolutions are, I want to stop a bad habit. So... You don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you would like to stop a bad habit this year? Whether you are writing it down in stone or not, <laughs> maybe you're like me, you write it down on your dry erase board because in February it's not going to matter anymore anyway, right? Let's be honest with ourselves. You want to stop a bad habit. Number two is we want to start a good habit. Usually that's something along the lines of working out, changing our diet habits, getting into a, a better routine with reading the Bible or picking up a new hobby that is good for your, kind of just your, your soul. Number three, uh, kind of the number three category of, of resolutions that we tend to make, typically are for um, maybe families or couples, and that has to do with our finances. And that's kind of what we're going to start off this year on, is we want to get into just better financial habits. 
with ourselves. And so we're going to start this new series. It's three weeks long called Faith and Finance. And the reason that we're going to dip into this is you realize the Bible has more to say about money than basically any other topic. And we don't like to talk about it sometimes in church. We don't like to bring it up in church, especially when you're out there listening to somebody up here talk about it. I've been there. It's like, here we go again. (laughs) But the Bible has so much to say about money and finances, and in fact, in terms of the way Jesus taught, he talked more about money than anything else. In fact, that, that comp- or, uh, c- comprises a pretty good chunk of, of what he talked about. But before we jump into this, I, wanna st- I want you all to do something with me if, if you're able to do this. I'm going to start a timer. We, we tried to have it up on the screen, but I'm just going to start it here, so you've got to trust me that I'm going to have this on the right time. But when I say go, I want you to make a fist with each hand and just kind of hold them out in front of you. I want you to clench it as tight as you can. Now, if you've got long fingernails, I apologize. This is going to get uncomfortable, but just bear with me. So here in a second, I'll say go. We'll clench a fist. for. We're going to do it for one minute. And at the end of that one minute, then we'll let our fists go. Okay, ready, set, go. And I'll talk to you for the minute because otherwise this would get awkward just sitting here watching me make this fist. But clench them as tight as you can. And if you need motivation, think about the person that's really frustrating you right now and what you'd like to do with, no, I'm not going to do that. We're in church. (laughs) Jesus loves that person too. Maybe think about this. What's in your hands is 2020. (laughs) You're crushing it, you know, you're you're, you're squeezing the life out of it. We're halfway there, 30 more seconds. Keep it up. You're doing a good job. Only got to distract you a little while longer. Anybody been watching the bowl games? I know Jeff's happy. (laughs) <laughs> Jeff's Ohio State Buckeyes kind of shocked the world the other night. 15 more seconds. Almost there. You're probably starting to feel a little bit of funny feeling up in your forearms at this point. If you've got nails, you're probably bleeding at this point. Five seconds. Four, three, two, one. Now let it go. Well, it's loud. Let it go. Anybody, your hands just immediately spring open? Or where you're like me, you let it go and it kind of does this. Think about that. File that away for just a minute because we're going to come back to that a little bit. Because what you saw there is a natural human reaction. You clench the muscles in your forearm so much to make a fist for so long that when you finally try to let go, it doesn't automatically happen. Now, if I just make a fist and let go, it, it pops back open. But the longer I hold that, if we would have gone for five minutes would have taken quite a while for that fist to open up. That's just basic physiology, right? But I want you to think about that, because that, that idea of, of clenching your fist and holding on tightly and then letting go and seeing that slowly open up, think about that same principle, but now apply it to different areas of your life. How often do we do that with our time? We hold our time so tightly that we have a hard time opening up and letting go any of our free time. Or maybe you have a hard time even opening up and and getting any free time. Or maybe with your abilities or talents, or dare we talk about it, with your finances, with what you have. See, what we're going to talk about today and and over the next few weeks is how our faith and our finances are, are so intermingled. They're so intertwined. And I don't think we often realize this, but when it comes to that tight fist posture like we just had, that's where so many of us are 
with our finances. When it comes to finances, we've really got three postures we can handle. Here's the first one. We just did it. It's the tight fists or the tight hands, whatever you want to call it, posture. This is the posture that says it's, it's mine. Now, we don't like to admit this, but by our very nature as human beings, we're selfish. You don't believe me? Hang out with my two-year-old for a little while. Because he's learned a word that none of us have taught him. And you know what it is if you've had kids. What's one of the first words kids really learn to use in context? Mine. He's gotten this habit, especially with Jennifer. He likes to grab her phone out of her hand so he can watch Mickey Mouse on it, even though it's on the TV right in front of him. My mom says he's like my stepdad. He needs a TV, an iPad, and the phone to watch the same show on all three. But he'll try to grab it out of her hands. He goes, that's mine. Uh, no, that's not yours. Don't, no, it's not yours. And even things like that we have given him, if he doesn't have them in his hands, he'll try to take them back. That's mine. That's mine. Or his, his new favorite one is, give that back. That's mine. You know, and these are phrases that, again, we haven't really taught him to say. It's kind of inherent for a lot of us as human beings. We think about this idea of, of mine. The number one principle we need to learn when it comes to whether that's our finances or our talents or whatever is simple. The number one biblical truth we need to know is this. God owns everything. Everything that you have, God owns Scripture is very clear about this. Psalm chapter 24, the, uh, David, King David, the man after God's own heart, he wrote these words, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Again, this isn't just some person in the Bible. This is King David. Like if you're ranking, okay, who are the most well-known, I, don't, I, don't, I say important, but I think you know what I mean, important biblical characters, he's probably top five, right? And not only that, David's son Solomon was one of the wealthiest men, if not the wealthiest man who ever lived. And David's writing these words. David defeated Goliath. David conquered land after land for God. And what's he write? Everything is the Lord's. He also wrote these words later. He, he prayed this prayer, 1 Chronicles 29. We read a prayer of his. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours. O Lord, this is your kingdom. Now, what do we tend to think? Okay, we, we, we tend to take, by we, I'm just talking about all of us. Okay, kind of the American church. We tend to take one of two angles when it comes to what we have. Number one, we say, well, I earned what I have. And you might even put a little caveat on that by saying, yeah, well, God gave me these talents, and with those talents God gave me, I've earned what I've got. And there's a truth to that. Or number two, we say, well, God blessed me with it, and he gave it to me. So it's mine. You know, we just had Christmas a couple weeks ago. Those presents somebody gave you, guess what? Those are yours now. If you gave somebody else a present, you can't go back later and go, I think I'm going to take that. No, you gave that to them. Now, parents to your kids, that's a little different story, right? <laughs> Those are threats you can hold over their heads, right? No, no. You give something to somebody, giving it away. And I think we take those two mindsets with God. I have earned this. I've worked my tail off for this. I've gone to college. I've, I, I, I grinded out a degree. I, I worked my way up the ladder to get a good job. Or, well, God gave it to me, so it's mine. 
And I think what we have to understand is that this mentality says what we have belongs to us and to nobody else. And it's mine. I get to choose what I want to do with it. And that's not really the way the Bible says it works. In fact, the Bible's pretty clear it, it doesn't work that way. God doesn't give us our things. God puts them in our, our lives and allows us to be a steward of it. I don't know if you know the difference of it being a steward and being an owner. If you follow sports, it's kind of like the difference in being the owner of a team or a general manager of a team. The owner of the team, they're the ones who own the team. They're the ones who pay the players. They're the ones who, who it, it's, it's their money footing the bill. But it's the general manager who's put in control of all that. They're the ones who run the operation. They're the ones who go out and find the players to put on the team. They're the ones who find the coaches to run and, and, and strategize for the team. They're the ones who make all the business decisions. And the teams that do well typically have a good owner, a good general manager who hires a good coach and good players. When that doesn't go well, they get rid of the general manager and bring another one in. These owners have billions of dollars invested. They're not going to waste this on somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. And that's similar to how it works with us and what we have. God has given us these things so that we can be stewards of them to benefit his kingdom. And again, it's easy for us to, to take the other road and say, well, no, it's mine because I worked for it. Deuteronomy chapter 8 says this, you may say to yourself, my power and strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Got myself out of order. <laughs> I think about this because it, it says he, he, he confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as today. If we've earned anything, it's only because what God has already given us to begin with. Now, I like to, to say this, the only reason I'm not playing Major League Baseball right now is because God didn't give me the ability to be a good baseball player. If he did, maybe that's where I would be. But God didn't wire me to be athletic at all. So it's hard for me to be a professional athlete when he didn't give me those gifts and talents, right? So therefore, Jennifer likes to, to joke about what we'll watch, and I'll say, yeah, this guy just signed a new contract. He's making, you know, $15 million this year. And she'll go, she'll go why weren't you a good baseball player? I'm like, I tried. I don't know. <laughs> God didn't wire me for that. That wasn't a gift set that he gave me. And, and I, I use that as an extreme example, but there's other examples, too, where you could have a job making more money than what maybe you're doing, but that's not the particular gift set God gave you. That's not the particular ability set that God has given you. But the problem that we tend to, to, to take is that what we do have, what we have worked for, what we have earned, we hold on to it and we'll let go when we want to let go or in certain directions we want to let go, but the rest of it we hold on pretty tight to regardless of that. Several years ago, there, there was a, uh, a small jet that took off from Portland, Maine headed to Boston, just the co-pilot and pilot on this jet, nobody else. And shortly after they took off, was Portland, Maine to Boston is a very short flight. They weren't going to fly at a very high altitude. Shortly after they took off, they started hearing a noise in the back of the plane. So the pilot, his name was Henry Edward, got up, put the co-pilot in charge, went to the back of the plane to check out the noise. And what he realized is when they got ready to leave the back door of the jet, the, the door didn't get latched properly. And they weren't flying high enough that it had to be sealed off, but it was rattling. And as he was checking it out, trying to figure out how he could fix it, they hit a bunch of turbulence, 
and he was actually thrown into the door, which jarred the door open and sucked him out of the plane. Well, as soon as the door flew open, of course, the co-pilot sees a light on the dashboard flashing. And he looks back and he sees the door open. And he knows what's happened. He starts yelling, Henry, Henry. No response. So he immediately radios to ground control. What happened? Hey, the, the door flew open. The pilot got sucked out. He's gone. Uh, get ground, he, he told him his coordinates. He said, get ground control. He made an emergency landing the first time he could. Well, they got out there and, and couldn't find him where he had been. And when the plane landed, they realized that, that somehow, this is a true story, by the way, when he got sucked out of the back door, he just managed to, to reach out and grab onto the little stepladder right underneath the door. And somehow, at 200 miles an hour, at 4,000 feet, he hung on until the plane landed. I don't know how long that took, but when they found him, basically plastered to the bottom of the plane, it took them about 10 minutes to get his hands unpried from the ladder. White-knuckled, almost put handprints in a metal ladder. That's how hard he hung on. And I think about that because the longer we keep our hands held tight, the harder it is to loosen them up. You guys held it for a minute, and it probably took a good five to six seconds to open your hand back up. I think about this, because that's where some of us are today. We're held on so tight, we're so tight-fisted, because we've earned what we've been given, we've used the talents God's given us, and, and that's ours. And, and we want to protect that. And let's be honest, folks, the reason we're bringing this up, the reason we're talking about this is because we're so protective of what we have financially because for almost all of us, if we're being very honest with ourselves, after our family, our finances are probably the most precious thing and important thing to us. We have to have them. And with our economy, we know the value of the dollar is dropping. We have to have what we have. I get it. I'm there with you all. But what we need to understand is a very simple, very simple principle that, that we can't ignore. The idea of mine doesn't work in a kingdom-minded church or a kingdom-focused life. To be kingdom-focused is to be outwardly focused. And I think about this because it's easy to look at your bank account. And it, I know this too, it, there's a big difference in what's in your bank account and what's in your pocket. A $100 bill in your pocket seems like a lot of money. A hundred bucks in your bank account, you're like, man, I'm in trouble. You know, that's... that's there's a lot of people out there that will tell you, just carry cash, because cash has a, a, a physical value to it, and it's, it's harder to let go. My uncle, I uh, talked to my uncle who passed away back in, on Thanksgiving Day, he had this famous line, if you'd go to lunch with him, uh, he'd say, well, I'd, I'd pick up the tab, but all I have is 100, you know, and, and that's just kind of his sense of humor of, he'd normally pay anyway, but basically he's saying, well, I've got 100, they probably don't want to break that. You know, and that was, that was his philosophy. Well, that's our philosophy too. We don't like to let go of a big bill. We see that number in our bank account, and it's easy to think, man, that's not a very high number. Jennifer and I, we have these discussions a lot. It's like, well, we only have, you can fill in the blank. And that number may be enough, it may not be, but, but that's how it's, it almost always starts is, well, we only have. We, th we see that, and, and we think, okay, I've got to be, be careful. I've got to be careful with what I do with, with my finances. But folks, you need to learn to let your fist open up a little bit. Because here's another truth that goes along when it comes to your finances. God cannot bless what you don't give him control of. If you hoard it, you wrap it up and say, God, sorry, this is mine, he's not going to bless it. 
The Bible's pretty clear about that. So that's a closed fist posture. What's the second posture that we can take? We went from closed fist to open hand. Open hand's a good posture, whether it's like this, like this. Because what's this remind you of? Surrender. It's a sign of surrender. That's why people, you'll see, raise their hands during worship music. It's a sign of surrender. You're surrendering to God. It's, it's not like you're trying to reach up and touch God. No, it's a sign of surrender. Letting God take control and take over. This is the posture of peace and joy. Because you're not trying to control anything. You're, you're not trying to be in charge of anything. This is the posture that says, my spending decisions are spiritual decisions. I'm going to pray before I make, make these decisions. Now, there's a line here. I don't mean, okay, you pull up in the parking lot and you pray, God, do you really want me to go spend five bucks on this burrito at Taco Bell? That's not what I'm talking about. It's not that extreme, okay? And I honestly, I can't tell you where that line is on decisions you should pray for and you shouldn't. Okay, that, that's up to you to kind of figure out. But any kind of big decision needs to be run through that lens of, okay, God, do you, is this a wise decision that I should be spending? Is this a wise decision that I should be making? Is this going to benefit the kingdom at all? And, and I know what some of you are thinking, because again, we have our family, we have our finances, and, and then everything else probably starts to trickle in down the road on what's the most precious to us. And I know what some of you are thinking, especially if you're visiting today, you're like, okay, here, here it comes, great. Pastor's on the stage talking about money. Here it comes. He's going to tell us how much he wants our money. He's going to tell us how much we have to give it. Folks, I need you to understand something. God doesn't need your money. This is the God who opened his mouth, spoke a breath, and the universe came into existence. God doesn't need your money. He demands your heart. And for too many of us, our heart and our money are in the same place. If you can separate those two, great. But for a lot of us, our heart and our money are in the same place. Don't believe me? Pull up your bank account and look where you spend most of your money. It's going to be on things, other than your bills, it's going to be on things that matter to you. It's going to be on things that you care about. It's going to be on things that, that you love to do. Jesus was very clear about that. Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, talking about money, here's what he said. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's the kicker. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I don't know if I was taught it this way or if I just learned it this way, but growing up, I always flipped that verse. And I think a lot of people do too, because I'll hear it sometimes flipped. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be. But it's, it's, it's the other way around. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Pay attention to the grammar, where your treasure is. That's present tense, there your heart will be, future tense. What's Jesus saying? What you care about, where you put what matters to you, is where your heart really is. That's what he's saying. He's very, very clear about that. And for a lot of us, we put our money, again, into things that matter. A lot of us tithe already. 
A lot of us tithe something already. But here's the problem I think a lot of us have with a tithe. A lot of us treat the tithe to the church kind of like a tip to a waiter at a restaurant. In other words, we tithe based on how well God's doing for us. Now, some of you tithe, or some, some of you tip based on your, the, 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 your bill. I've never really been one of those. It's like, well, I'm, I'm going to give 15% off, off this or 20% off this. I tend to rate it off of how, if, if my server doesn't do a very good job, I don't leave as big of a tip. If my server does a great job, I leave a better tip. And it doesn't matter if my meal costs me 10 bucks or 50. That's not fair to the server serving me a $10 meal that works just as hard as the one serving me a $50 meal. Okay? That's, that's my philosophy on that. You guys can tip however you want to tip. But we treat God the same way sometimes. And what we say is, well, I'll tip with, or I'll, I'll tithe with what's left. Now, somebody's asked me before, like, should you tithe off of your gross income or your net income? That's up to you to decide. But personally, I, I look at it this way. I trust God with that 10% off the, the top more than I trust the government with whatever percent they're taking right now. That's not a political statement, by the way, so stop laughing. Because <laughs> it doesn't matter who's in control of the country, I'm going to trust God more. Okay? And what it's saying is this, too. I trust God by giving him 10%. I trust God with the remaining 90% that he's left for me more than I trust myself with 100% on my own. And, and so for us, our tithe check is, is, is the first thing on our budget line that we, we write. We, we pay our tithe before we worry if we've got enough money for all the bills. And I, I get it. That can be difficult. That can be tough to, to figure out. Or, or, or you know, if, if, if tithing is new to you, it's easy to say, well, I don't think I've got enough to cover it this month. You realize this? Tithing is the only area in Scripture where you're invited to test God. He's very clear about that. Malachi chapter 3, here's what it says. This is God talking, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, he says. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Some of you have heard this story, but... uh, Several years ago, back about 2002 or three, uh, I'm in my first couple years of college. My parents had divorced. My mom decided to go back to college. She had been working for an attorney as a secretary, wanted to go back and get a nursing degree. And so it was funny. We, we spent a year actually going to college together, um, my mom and I, at, at a college there in her hometown. And I was working part-time at a convenience store, and one year I actually made more money than my mom did while we were doing this. And my, keep in mind, my brother is a sophomore in high school at this time. So it's not like, you know, she's an empty nester and doesn't have to worry about it. And my mom's always <clears throat> very meticulous on her budget. Growing up in church, she's always tithed her whole life. But she did the numbers, and, you know, making just barely five figures for a year, she realized, I've got just enough money, almost down to the dollar, to cover all my expenses except my tithe. And she was telling this to my grandparents, and my grandpa very clearly said, well, go ahead and pay that tithe first. See what happens. And my mom knows this in her heart, but had to be reminded and almost had to be reconvinced. And she went ahead against her better judgment, wrote the tithe check first, and then worried about all the rest. I mean, and in the meantime, she had to get a new car, her, her, you know, a used car, but a new car. Her, her, she'd been driving this old minivan for a long time that needed to be replaced. 
And it's just like, I just, it makes no sense to do this right now. My grandpa just kept reminding her, you know what to do, you know what to do. So she wrote the tithe check, and then she paid her bills. And for two years of this, she was never short one month. She was never short one month. Folks, that's, that's how God honors your tithe. That's how God honors it. He takes that 90% you have left, and he blesses it beyond the 100% that you have on your own, that you have in your pocket. And folks, I get it. That it's easy to say, well, that's a great story. But that's what an open hand, an open palm posture looks like. There's a third posture. And I'll be honest before I even say what this third posture is. There's not very many Christians who fit into this third posture, myself included. We go from tight fists to open hands, and the third posture is palms down. Now, here's where I want to just get really, really honest with you about this for a second. I was doing some research on this this week, and I think I can safely say that the vast majority of the church today does not fit into this category. And here's why I say this. This is the category that goes beyond it's mine and it's yours. The palms down is the posture that says, God, I know you can do the unexpected. I know you can do far more than I can possibly imagine. Here's why I say I don't think most of the church fits into this category. This was a survey taken last year by um, a church group called... uh, CDF, or Church Development Fund, it's, it's a financial fund that helps churches all over the country. Their survey found that among regular attending church members, most of you all, people like you, people who show up on a regular basis, only 15 to 25% tithe regularly. That's across the country. 15 to 25%. And some other surveys I, I looked at showed that as few as 5% tithe regularly. And this is the other thing. Of the people who call themselves regular tithers, the average tithing amount given is 2.5%. We start with 10%, but the average that's given is 2.5% of your income. Now, I get it. I know 2020 has been a rough year financially. During the Great Depression, you know what the average Christian tithed? Almost 4%. That was during one of the worst economic decades our country's ever seen. Now, here's the thing, folks. I, I want you to understand this. This isn't me putting on my preacher hat so that I can guilt you into giving money. But I want you to understand something. When we talk about a 10% tithe, that's not a chiseled in stone mandate. That's a starting point. That's a starting point. If you can trust God with 10%, then you can trust him with anything. And what I've seen so many people do is they've taken that 10%, and year after year, they've actually increased that. Many of you know the name Rick Warren. He's a pastor in in, in Anaheim, California. Most of you know him because he wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Life. He told God a long time ago, God, if you, if you ever bless me in a way financially, I'll do this job for free. Well, he's a guy who's lived a life that's been pretty selfless, even when he didn't have any money. And God blessed him by publishing a book that outside of the Bible, 
is the number one selling nonfiction book of all time. And I got to listen to him talk about that one time. He goes, I thought I might make some money off this book. He said, I have no idea the amount of money I'm going to make off this book. You know how much income Rick Warren tithes to his church now? 98% of what he makes on an annual basis goes to his church. He's paid back every dollar the church ever paid him because he's able to do that. He, he joked, he said, I, I had to um, buy a new, he said, the, the only thing I bought recently that was, was fancy was I had to buy a new wedding ring because I lost mine. So we went to Walmart and bought a new gold band for $150. <laughs> but here's the thing on Rick Warren. He goes, the, I, I promise you, he said, the only reason God blessed me to make the money I've made off this book is because he, he, he knew what I would do with it. He said he knew what I would do with it. And, and I admire that. Because he not, he not only quit pay, uh, taking a paycheck from his church, but he was able to pay back everything the church had given him to begin with. And I wonder how many of us would say, God, if, if you'd give me the wherewithal, I'd do this for free, whatever job you're in. If you'd give me the, the, the chance to do it, I'd do this for nothing. And, and I think about that because I get it that, that 2020's been a rough year, financially, economically. We, we've seen small businesses close. It's been, it's been a rough year for the church, for our church. It's been a rough year for small churches across America. The estimates that, that there are into the thousands of small churches that may close this year. Because, like what we've seen here, people have quit coming, people have quit giving because they're, they're so scared of what the finances look like in front of their face. Let me make you a promise here. I want to make you a promise. When it comes to what you give to God, you cannot outgive Him. I have never in my life met somebody who's in financial, economic ruin, you know, who, who's having to sell everything. Say, what happened? I outgave God. I mean, I just gave everything to God, and, and look at me now. No, you can't outgive him. You can't outgive him. It, it, Jesus says it in Luke chapter 6. He says, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, I want to make one thing very, very clear. I am not talking about what we call the prosperity gospel. I'm not talking about that. If you don't know what I mean, you, there, there are some preachers you can watch. They're usually on TV or online now. Some very famous ones, usually that have their own private jets. I asked for that in my contract. I didn't get it. That's a different point. <laughs> joking, joking, by the way, just in case you don't know my humor, I'm joking. But what they'll tell you is, hey, if you double your tithe this year, God's going to bless you. You're going to double your salary. There's nowhere in Scripture that says that. And if they, there, there are things that allude to that, they twist them out of their context. Okay? This isn't a health and wealth gospel that the amount of your faith and the amount you give is going to show up in your bank account next week. This isn't one of those Facebook messages that share this to 10 people. This isn't a chain mail thing, okay? I want to make that clear. And if, if you go to another church at any point, if you're watching online and, and you hear a pastor say that, you need to get out of that church because that's heresy. Plain and simple. If somebody's telling you that it's not biblical, but I need you to understand that, that, that when you give to God, God will bless you through that. 
And what I want you to understand is this. When you have that open hands and palms down posture, God's going to see that because that, that, that trickles down into your heart. And when I say that God's going to bless you, it may not be in a way you're expecting. Most of us expect, well, how's God going to bless me? Oh, well, my debt's just going to get wiped away, or my bank account's going to double. It may not be like that. It may be something different. God may take you through a process first before something happens. What you need to understand, though, is this. God doesn't fit into your box of reality. God doesn't fit into our Excel spreadsheets that we like to lay out our budgets on. He doesn't fit into QuickBooks or any of that. My friend Ashley is a a pastor and told us this story. Uh, Ashley and his his wife Jamie uh, didn't start off in ministry, kind of like I did. They took a different path than I did, but they met in Bible college, and then they both went into the corporate world. He was working for Intel back in the uh, early 2000s when computers were really starting to become a, a thing we all had in our homes. Intel makes processors that run almost every computer. And Ashley was one of those who very quickly climbed the corporate ladder and very quickly was making more money than anybody his age in the entire corporation. And he, he said, you know, I grew up listening to my parents fight, fight over money. Like knock down, drag out fights. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And he said, I always assumed it was because they didn't have enough, because that's what they would argue over. No, we don't, we don't have enough to cover that. We've got to do it here instead. And he said, and I promised myself when I got married, we would never fight over money. Well, his wife also had a corporate job, and she made good money as well, too. And he said, it was only about a year into our marriage, we were having knockdown, drag-out fights over money. He said, then I, that's when I learned it doesn't matter if you don't have enough, because it's always possible to never have enough. He said, we were making well into the six figures, and we didn't have enough. He would argue that she was spending too much money shopping, and he w- she would argue he was spending too much money golfing. And he said, that, you know, we finally had a kind of a come-to-Jesus moment, and we sat down and, and realized we can't do this anymore. And so they sat down with their Bibles, and they, they prayed about it, and they laid out some goals on what they wanted to do. And number one was they wanted to start increasing their tithe every year. Some years they're going to increase it more, some years they're going to increase it less, but at the very least, he said, if, if, if it's a good year financially, we'll bump it up a couple percent. If it's been a year where it's been tight, maybe we bump it up a quarter percent. But we always increase our tithe every year. But he said they also made a commitment, we're going to get out of debt. Being young with good paying jobs, they bought a really nice house in the Phoenix area, nice cars. They had student loan debt, but they decided we want to get out of debt. We're going to make that a commitment, and we're going to do that. He said then we acknowledge, you know, number three, everything we have is God's. So they start going through this, and they start formulating a plan. Ashley's a numbers guy, and he gets a call one day from his boss, um, says, hey, we we need to talk. It's time for your review. And he had done so well that year that he actually got one of the highest raises in the history of their corporation, like shot him way up into the next pay, pay bracket. And he was so excited because they had just been praying, uh, we want to get out of debt. And he thought, oh, well, this is a good way to think about that. So he called his wife and he goes, hey, guess what? I got a great, I, I got a huge raise today. She goes, so did I. And they're like, awesome. God's working already. So they sat down and, and he said, I realized too with this new raise, it came with bonuses and stock options and all those things that people in the corporate world can get. 
And he said, so we, we ran the numbers, and he said, we just decided we're going to take all that we get, and we're going to put it into a savings account, and in five years, that'll be enough to pay off all of our debt. We'll let it just sit there and accrue for five years. And he said, uh, you know, he got another raise the next year. And, and it just, like, they, they knew within five years, man, all this debt's going to be gone. He said, the next Sunday they go to church. <laughs> and the pastor announced, we're starting a building campaign because this is going to allow us to reach twice as many people for Christ. He said, you know, we're excited. We're on board. So we're, we're praying, okay, God, what would you like us to give to help this out? And he said, God didn't audibly talk but he said it became very clear. Hey, all that money you just put into that savings account, give that to the church. And Ashley said, I got my Bible out, and I showed God all the verses. Hey, right here, God, you said we shouldn't be in debt. You're very clear. And he said, I, I was quoting scripture to God so that I could win the argument with God. We're getting out of debt. That's what you told us to do. Folks, even if you quote scripture to God, you're not going to win that argument. He said, so we gave all that money. He didn't say how much it was, but it was a big amount. And it was an amount that was going to grow because it had stock options locked into it as well. He said, we gave all that money. I thought, okay, God, well, I guess, I guess this is you know, your plan. Again, this is a five-year plan that he was going to pay off his debt. Three years later, he gets offered a job at the church he's at now. He goes to work there. They have to move to another part of Phoenix. They sell their house where they're living. They move into a house that's very similar, but it's in another part of town. What they made off of their first house, they were able to pay cash for their second house. And they had enough left over to pay off their student loan debt. God got them out of debt not the way he thought, but because he honored God. It would have been very easy for him to be, I mean, he could have used that money in godly ways. He could have used that money and, and helped missionaries or, or missions or, or charities. But God said, don't give it to the church and watch what the church does with it. Because that church is going to do this. They're going to bless missionaries and charities and missions. And they're going to do it on a bigger scale but he trusted God and he trusted the church. Folks, when you learn to open your hands and put your palms down, you're gonna realize God can do more than you can possibly, possibly imagine. And what Ashley understood is this, God doesn't give you things so that you can just bottle them up and hold on to them. Look at it this way instead. God blesses us so that we can become a river, not a reservoir. He blesses us so we can be a river that runs and runs and runs. I've lived here for four years. I've never once seen the Rogue River run out of water. I've seen lakes drop. And when lakes drop, it takes a long time for them to fill back up. Now maybe the river drops down a little bit too, but there's still water running through it. I've seen rivers that are completely dried up. It just looks like a big ditch. God blesses you so you can be a river. Another pastor said it this way, if God has blessed you with more than you need, it's not your needs he has in mind. It's others. I've got a couple of thoughts for you to take away with you today. I want to encourage you first off, 
be here the next two weeks because we're going to build and talk the next couple weeks. And I'll be honest, we're going to get personal because finances are personal. But next week, we're going to talk about, about greed versus contentment. And, and I'll be honest with you, before I even get up here and preach that, I will be stepping on my own toes all week long next week. I will be. I'll be kicking myself as I write this. It's one of those sermons I write and go, gosh, I am not qualified to preach this sermon because I need to hear it as much as you all do. But as, as we get ready to wrap this up, I, I want to, I've I got a couple guys that got some cards on a bin and um, Gary's got one and um, you who, I'm not your favorite pastor, you've got one. I'm not going to forget that, by the way. I've got a long memory. But they're going to pass these cards out. These cards are, are commitment cards. And as you get this, you'll see it, it, what it says on the top is, 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 just says, I commit to living a faithful life by trusting God with my finances. This is not a card I want back. Don't drop this in the offering. Don't give this back to the church. I'm not going to call you and see how you're doing. We're not going to track you. This isn't a pledge to the church. This is a promise and a commitment between you and God. Because underneath that heading, if I commit to living a faithful life by trusting God with my finances, there's three options. And if you're watching this online, I'm going to post this where you can get it off of our website. But the first option is this. It says, I acknowledge that everything belongs to God. The second option, and if, if you're a couple, go ahead and each, each of you take one. You can take one as a couple collectively, but this is something I think we all, all can benefit from. The second option, some of you can't check this box yet, but the second option says, I commit to tithing 10% faithfully. For some of you, that's a new thing. And you may say, my money's tight. I just want to challenge you. Give it, give it three months. Okay? Test God. Challenge God. He has told you to do so. Commit to tithing 10% faithfully. Maybe your 10% isn't a very big 10%. That's all right. It's your 10%. If you've been tithing 10% already, I want to challenge you to look at that last box there. I commit to living generously above the 10% tithe. If you've tithed 10% regularly, I want to challenge you. Increase that. I can't tell you how much to increase it. Pray about it. Spend this week praying about it and then make a commitment. For 2021, I'll tithe 11%, 12%. Maybe God was really good to you last year. I'll go 13%. Whatever you can do that God shows you, you can do. And if you think that you can't do it, test God. Again, I'm not saying if you tithe 20% this year, you're going to have your income or wealth double. I am not saying that. I'm saying test God. See what God can do to you. And then at the bottom, there's a place. I want you to sign this. I want you to date this. When you make your commitment, I want you to sign this and date it. And I want you to put this where you'll see it every day. Maybe your bathroom mirror. Maybe on the dash of your car. Maybe you, if, if, maybe you put it with your Bible so you can see it when you pick up your Bible to read every day. And if you don't pick up your Bible and read it every day, don't put it with your Bible, okay? Put it where you, stick it on the refrigerator. But at the bottom of this, not at the very bottom, but I've left you a little note. If you want to give, we aren't passing the offering bags right now because of COVID protocols. We've got our drop boxes in the back of the room that you can drop a check in on your way out. 
And I don't know what giving regularly looks like for you. Maybe it's every week. Maybe it's every payday. Maybe it's once a month. Whatever that looks like for you. I don't know. But if, if you want a way to give regularly that's just as hands-free and, and worry-free as possible, take about three minutes. Get on our website. I'll, I'll give you the link there, redwoodchristian.org support. There's a button at the bottom that says, I think it says make a donation because it wouldn't let me change the text on it. Click that. It takes about two or three minutes, and you can set up a one-time tithe payment or a recurring tithe payment. I think one of the greatest inventions in history of mankind is automatic bill pay because I don't have to worry about it anymore. You know, we just have to make sure the money's in the account before the bill comes out. So why don't you do that with your tithe and make sure that gets out there first? Let God have what sometimes we don't want to let go of. The other thing I want to remind you of, if, if you said, Kurt, I, I get it, and I want to make a better financial commitment in this year because I'm not good with your finances. I can tell you personally, I, if it wasn't for my wife, I'd never know quite how much money we have until I went to Walmart and my debit card did or didn't work. I wouldn't know, okay? If you're not great, I want to encourage you. We've got a class that starts in about two weeks. In fact, it's two weeks from Tuesday, I believe. Um, and it's um, Crown Financial Ministries. There's a, a thing for it up there. Crown Financial, I, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Dave Ramsey. Crown Financial is very similar. Um, and it's also more affordable for, for you all. Dave Ramsey is not affordable for most people. This costs you $40 per couple. And if you want to get in, you can still get in. Tanya and Ben Sutter are going to be teaching this class for us. <clears throat> I, I will tell you this. I've done this class once upon a time. $40 is an incredible investment for this class. And if you want to get in, um, is it still 40 or is it, did it go up? So it's $45 now, sorry. $45 is still a great investment for this class. And so $45 buys you a workbook that you as a couple can share. And I will tell you this, you have homework before you get there on the first week. I was informed of that this morning. I don't like having homework, but I have homework before the first week. But if you want to do this, there's a sign-up sheet right out there on the, the Welcome Center. Sign up, let Tanya know, because this is going to, uh, I know for us, this helped us get a handle on our debt. This helped us realize how we prioritize what we spend. This helped us see things through a biblical perspective when it came to every level of our finances. I want to encourage you, alongside this commitment card, to look into this. And if you want these sheets, I think we've got them out there as well, too. Again, Tanya or Ben can tell you much more about the program, but I would really encourage you to, to look into that. It's going to be Tuesday evenings at 6 o'clock for about 10 weeks. Um, well worth your time, well worth your $45. Then I want to encourage you, as you're taking those cards, don't take those cards lightly. I know it's easy. You get stuff handed out at church to so just stick it in your Bible and forget about it. Toss it out on your way out. That's your takeaway this week. I want you to take that card and don't just check it immediately. I want you to pray about it. I want you and God and you and your spouse and God to sit down and really pray about this. Because I can tell you this from the perspective of the church. God doesn't need your money. As a church, we do. And I can tell you that, that COVID has not been kind to the churches like us. Just like most other small businesses and small organizations. I believe this church can still make an impact in this community. 
Okay, the minute we quit believing that, we need to shut our doors and walk away. The minute we want to quit making that our commitment and our focus, we need to shut our doors and walk away. If you want to sit here and say, well, you know, I don't know that I trust you with our tithe. I'm going to say this in love. I encourage you to leave and find a church where you can. I'm not saying that out of spite. I want you to find a church that you can believe in and that you can tithe to. Because I think that the kingdom is still going to roll through this church. The church is still going to be able to get out there and make an impact and an imprint. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful that you have blessed us with so much already. But God, we also recognize that it's a challenge. It's hard for us as humans to sometimes get over our closed fist mentality and grab a hold of your kingdom, to grab a hold of where you're at and in what you have for us. God, I pray today for us as a church, for us as individuals, Lord, that we would make a new commitment going into this year to radically trust you with those things that are the most precious to us, with, with our finances and our possessions, Lord, that you have in store, you've given to us, God, I ask that we would learn to trust you in a way we've never seen before, we've never thought about before. God, we would would just see you in a different light in 2021. Despite everything that's going on in our world, God, all of the negativity in our culture, God, we would focus on and see you. And we would would learn to trust you in a new, new way. God, I pray for us as a church as we move forward, Lord, we would do it boldly not timidly, but boldly. God, that you would take what we have and bless it beyond measure. Bless it so that we can make, we can, we can make kingdom citizens out of our world, bringing people to you. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.